Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. All right, let's go to 1 John, and I will get to the verses tonight. There may be wagering in the back on whether that will happen or not. You can bet one way or the other, all right? <laughs> uh, so we're in 1 John. And uh, this is supposed to be a verse-by-verse study. Uh, And I've taken extra time not only in introducing it, but then in kind of explaining uh, why we do verse-by-verse and the point of foundations as far as the Bible study side of it, Uh, the reason why we do what we do on Wednesday night. Uh, Christians need stability. There's only one way to get stability, and that's to build your life on the Word of God. Uh, We all love great worship. We all love emotional experiences and spiritual uh, moves of God where the Spirit of God does special things, you know, uh, and moves by the gifts of the Spirit or whatever the case may be. We all love good preaching. You know, I enjoy a good preacher that can just motivate you. But you need the Word as your foundation. The Scripture says in Luke that we're to dig deep and uh, build our lives on the foundation of the rock or the Word of God. Now, that digging deep, and we talked about this before, it simply means work, right? It means sweat in the spirit. Now, we live in a day and age where Christians are, have, you know, devotion cards, you know, like the shape of a little, now, if you have this, you're just going to have to walk in love with me. Um, They have a devotion card that they pull for that day, and they read a little, you know, encouraging word. You know, one scripture, a little encouraging word, and then they go on through their day. And the devil probably invented that. (laughs) Hope the inventor isn't around in church today. You know, I'm being a little sarcastic, those of you that know me. But you can't, you can't, you can't win in your faith with just that little scripture card. Um, and we know people say, well, the one word from God can change the world. I agree there's enough power in it. The problem is not the word of God. The problem is you and me. We got to have our minds renewed, not removed, renewed, right? And so in order for that to happen, it just takes time. It takes effort. And people say, oh, no, we're under grace. We don't have to work. Wrong. You don't have to earn your salvation, but you do have to work from it. Grace is a free gift, absolutely. It was given by God. All of who he is in the resurrection was placed within us when we were born again. But it takes faith work to get it out. You have to, you're not earning it, you're working from it, not working for it. So what's happened and what happens Whenever there's an emphasis on one particular part of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit does this, He'll raise up a man or a woman of God and they'll have a specific mantle on them to teach a specific subject. And God will anoint them to speak on that subject and they'll focus on that subject. And they'll actually be a huge move in that direction. So years ago, as far as our camp goes... I mean, you could go way back, but as far as our camp goes, my camp, it was the faith, what they called the faith movement. How many know there's no scripture that says there's a faith movement? There's a scripture that says the just shall live by faith. That's not a movement. That's a daily thing. And now there's been a huge emphasis on what? Grace. And the reason why is because the tendency of humanity, we're just this way and the Lord knows it, and that's why he does this, is that the tendency of humanity is is that we turn faith into works. And now we don't understand grace like we should, so now there's been a huge push of grace. The tendency with every, every emphasis of the Spirit of God when it comes to us, not the Lord, the Lord's perfect. It's us that's it's it, it's us that's the problem, right? How many realize that? That I'm, you know, you you're like, yeah, we know you're the problem, Sean. You, <laughs> I'm my own worst enemy. Okay, and through ignorance, a lot of times the devil doesn't even have to show up in a Christian's life, in areas. It just leave them. It just leave us to our own de- demise. You know what I mean, so to speak, because of of where we live. But the tendency is to take that movement and make it the thing. And so what we do is, if you uh, 
Brother Hagin used to say this to us, the word of God's like a mountain. Depending on where you're standing, it can look different and feel different. It's all the same mountain. But how many have ever gone on, 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 and hiked a mountain and you got up to the top of the mountain and you look down and you're like, oh. But how many when you're at the bottom of the mountain, you looked up and whoa. You get on the side of the mountain, be stuck in the trees and see nothing but trees. You can get on another side where there's less trees and look out and you're halfway up and it looks like the, the peak looks a little bit different than it did from the bottom and the base now looks different than it did when you were down there. Everything can change. We need the whole loaf of bread. Now people say, well, that takes, I mean, if I just read the Bible, I mean, that would take a lot of time. I don't have that much time. Well, I guess you're going to have to decide what you want. Amen. Amen. We all have choices, right? Go over to Proverbs 3. We're not teaching this. I'm just going to read it to you. Because we're in 1 John. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 3. If you don't know this word... It's going to cost you. Now, people say, well, I, I'm saved. I'm going to go to heaven. That's great. That's awesome. But you don't have an enemy in heaven. You got one here. You, you have an enemy here. And he wants to, he has a, he has a mission statement. It's got three points. Steal destroy right so we can either choose to think the way we want to think about what God said about himself and his word or we can go to the word and this is what Proverbs 3 5 says it says trust in the Lord with what all your heart and lean on your own understanding I don't know if you've noticed this as humans we're in love with our own opinions I mean it's the greatest thing since sliced bread my opinion is so far out beyond anybody else. No, it's human wisdom. And then notice what it says next in verse 6. In all, how many of your ways? All your ways. All your ways? What? Acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Do you see that? Uh, the Lord is very this way. He gave his all. He, it's not that he demands our all. It's that he's saying, you should give it all to me because I'll help you. Now, he could demand it. He could, but he gave us free will, and he's gracious that way. So what does that mean? That means very simply this, is that God is not a dictator in the sense of he's not going to, uh, he's not a communist. He's not going to force you to obey. Does that make sense? We get to choose. We choose. So I've watched people do this. They get born again. And God, they really have an encounter with the Lord. They, they, they have, you know, there are tears. There are all sorts of emotions that are taking place in the process, which God gave us the emotions, so they're not wrong. But they don't, they don't give themselves over to the Lord fully. So what actually they do, it, most of it, I believe, is done out of ignorance. They actually end up living they're saved, but they actually end up living in the same decision pattern that they, that they got, got them into the mess in the first place where they realize they need a savior after they're saved. They, they still lean to their what? Their own understanding. Well, so how are you going to get out of that understanding and make changes? You've got to have knowledge come to you about a different way to do something. So salvation is access to heaven when you die, but it's also heaven getting access to you and me while we live. Right? So I have to make different decisions. So for me, instead of going to something of the world when I'm in a difficult situation, you know, like people talk about, I'm going to drown my sorrows. You'll actually increase your sorrows. You'll give them resurrection life by trying to do what the world does in saying they're going to drown their sorrows. Does that make sense? And so we, we have to make different decisions. Well, how do we make different decisions? You've got to have different information. 
Well, the information that you received when you got born again, did that have a radical impact on your life? I wonder if there's other radical words. But in order to, and we do live in this society, people say, I heard a, heard a minister saying, say one time, somebody told him, well, I'm just too busy to take that much time in the word. Okay. Then you can live like the rest of the Christian world lives. How do they live? Well, it's the majority that lives this way. They live like the Israelites did right after they got out of, the, uh, of Egypt. From catastrophe to miracle to catastrophe to miracle to catastrophe to miracle to the point where it's just catastrophe. They actually never got into the promised land. Sometimes people think, well, the promised land is heaven. No, there are no giants in heaven. No, the promised land is where you don't need a miracle anymore because you're just provided for. Now, how do you get to that place where you're living in such faith that you're drawing from grace on such a level, your faith is, is, is operating at maximum and you're drawing off the graces of what Christ did at such a level that you're just living in them daily. I am not declaring to you that you'll no longer have problems. I'm declaring to you that you'll walk through them in faith without fear and you'll actually, you'll actually reduce the level of problems that you have just because of the wisdom level that you're operating in from the renewal of the mind from the word of God. How do I do that? I need understanding from the scripture. I need light, right? And so that's what we're doing on Wednesday nights. That's what we do. We, we put that word in us and we do it periodically in other ways. And verse by verse teaching is great to do this because it eliminates... Uh, it helps eliminate our preconceived ideas about what God said and puts it in context of what he actually meant and what he was actually saying. So we talked a little bit about the background of 1 John. We talked about the authorship of, of 1 John and why it was written. One of the reasons it was written is because there was a bunch of heretical teaching going around. How many know there's been revisionists since day one? You say revisionist. Yeah. Do you know from the, if you study the history of America, there were people that were trying to rewrite the history of America when it was like a year old. There were, in other words, false, fake news is not new. It is not new. Okay. Fake news is not new. It's been around for a long time. How many know the devil is a liar? He doesn't care if he has to put it in a book, on TV, over Twitter, over... He does, he's a liar. Liars lie. That's what they do. And if he can find a vessel to work through, which there are plenty available, he will. <laughs> okay? And so there was false doctrine going around at that time. I'm not going to go back through uh, what all that was about. But the second main point uh, con concerning the epistle of First uh, John was that... He, uh, Paul was, or Paul, John was dealing with Christian ethic. And we talked about this, but I'm going to read over this. Ethics is the Christian's relationship to his fellow believers. This was John's other main concern. That relationship will be governed totally by his, what he, what is called Christology, which is just Christ theology. In other words, what Christ taught, how he lived, all of those things, and how we're supposed to live. To walk in the light, to keep God's commandments, and to love one another, to do righteousness and so on, are all expressions showing that faith in Jesus is inseparable from one's ethical lifestyle. They are bound together. They are not the cause of one's relationship with God, but they do characterize it. So in other words, we're talking about, again, the phrase, we're living from our salvation, not to earn our salvation. So I'm not doing what's right because I'm afraid God's going to hate me because he loved me when I hated him. So did the relationship, did it, did it flip once I got saved? Once I received the Lord? No, I'm still not earning my salvation.
It's still given to me by grace through faith. But what the difference is, is that the dead, the old, the demonic seed that was in my heart, that nature was removed, the stony heart was taken out, and a new heart of flesh or a new spirit was placed within. When I received that new nature, I knew something changed. How do I find out what changed? This. So I found out if I don't lie, it causes a lot less problems in my life. Now, I'm not, I'm going to say this, not lying because I'm afraid God's going to be mad at me if I do. I'm not lying because lying is no longer in my nature. I have a new nature. I didn't, I, I knew something changed. Some things I just did automatically. I don't cheat because cheating's not in my nature anymore. You know, you people say, yeah, we need some good role model people. And so they take their kids and they say, hey, look at this football player. Look at this. And if you really get into a lot of their lives, they're horrible role models. You know, even sometimes, I hate to say this, but even sometimes if they're Christians, they can write a Christian book about how they serve Christ. And then some college football players years later get fired for cheating on how they get players into their team, and they did it for years. That's not a good testimony. That's not winning in life. Winning is character. It's discipline. It's functioning in the character of Jesus. Can you imagine Jesus lying to get his way? But it's my nature. My nature has changed. And this is important because it affects us because we can either close the door to the enemy or open the door to the enemy to our lives, even though we're redeemed from him, based on how we live. Faith and ethics are inseparable elements of the Christian life. The commandment in 1 John 3, 23 to exercise faith in Jesus and brotherly love toward others summarizes the entire Christian faith. To God, it is to keep his commandments. That's 1 John 2, 3. Faith in Christ and love for fellow believers are inseparable. Those who put aside faith in Jesus as the Christ are also rejecting the love of God. Those who fail to love the community of God are also neglecting to love God. Isn't that interesting? Do you know the biggest testimony we have? Loving each other. Why do you think Prophet Mark has been on us for weeks about loving? <laughs> Why? Because we need to what? It's actually your nature to love the person you think in the church you don't like. <laughs> and if we really understood love, that wouldn't be an issue. The problem is, most people say, I love you, and what they mean is, you did something for me. I like you now. Or, I need you right now, but as soon as I don't need you anymore, I don't love you anymore. Ouch. I know, my feet hurt too right now. <laughs> the manifestation of love is the sign of the genuine Christian. The love John wrote about is divine love. This is supernatural. This takes miracle power to do because it isn't human power. John wrote about this, uh, this divine love. It's not love on a human level. Divine love is denied when one sets aside loving God's people. The sign to the world and the heretics, the, the sign of the world and the heretics, their world is hate even though they can sometimes whitewash the tomb. The world, can do, uh, the world cannot do otherwise. They're not even born again. First John teaches faith must manifest itself in the mundane affairs of day-to-day -day living. You, people don't realize this. Do you know how great exploits and things take place? Through mundane faith work. The other day after prayer, we, all the staff, we went out to lunch. You say, why? Because I don't want to be in the office anymore. 
You know, you study until your eyeballs feel like they're going to fall out of your head. You know what I mean? But what is that? Pastoring, ministry, uh, parenting, teaching, having a job, owning a business. It's, it's, it's all ox work on the mill. It's grinding. Grinding. Do you know what I love? I love the testimonies of healed cancer. Love that. It's exciting. I love it when we have tons of people born again in a service or baptized in the Holy Spirit. I love that. I'm like, wah! And then the next day, I don't feel anything. Now, what does that mean? That means I rejoice big in the moment when you have those godly, heavenly emotions. You engage in them. You jump. You shout. You may dance. You may laugh. Whatever it is. But then when you land, you walk straight. Because my, the, 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 when it comes to Pentecostals, and I'm, I'm hard on them because we is one. When it comes to Pentecostals, we tend to ride emotion like the world. The Baptists are better off in some respects. You say, why? Because they're taught to feel nothing and have faith. That's why, that's why if I can, if, 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 if I have, I've been able to minister to uh, Baptists before, if I can show it to them in the word, boom, they're on it. Why? Because they've been taught to believe that word. And they don't need to see it or feel it. They'll go, yep, that's it right there. Let's do that right now. But Pentecostals are like, well, I didn't just feel it. I didn't feel it. I, didn't, I just didn't feel like telling the truth. Well, you need to get a revelation and start, quit trying to feel the truth and walk in who you are in Christ. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> the New Testament usually applies the term brother to Christians, not neighbors in general. The brotherly love of which John wrote involves love for fellow believers, especially uh, especially or specifically. First John chapter one, verse number one says this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Another translation says this, and there's a reason why John was saying all this, but it says this, we are writing to you about something which has always existed. I love that. Christ existed before time began, something which we had opportunity to observe closely, even to hold in our hands. The very message of life, who is the disclosure of the true life. Jesus was the disclosure of true life. He was, the Bible says in Colossians that he was the express image of the Father. So if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. He's just like Jesus. Church, please don't add to what God is like if it is outside of Jesus. Don't try to hang on God what is of the devil when Jesus said, I am just like the Father. He is, before time began, Jesus was fellowshipping with the Father. He stepped into our world when he put on the earth suit. Now, this, you may think, well, you're preaching good, but what has that got to do with anything? Well, if you go back and listen to the other messages, this is what part of the heresy that John was dealing with in 1 John. Because Gnostics were teaching, actually, that the Spirit of Christ came, but he never really came as a man. That's a huge problem to the gospel. They talk about the Spirit of God came on, maybe a man named Jesus and he did amazing things, but he wasn't actually, Jesus wasn't, God wasn't actually in the flesh in Christ. If he wasn't, then we are not actually saved. If you don't believe in the virgin birth, you, I'll give an altar call and you can get saved afterwards. You have to believe that to be a Christian. It's not, it's not you know, people say, well, you know, it's poetic, you know, and all this nonsense. We know for a fact that the Big Bang Theory is real until we built this bigger telescope and found out all of our stuff was wrong. I find it amusing. 
that, that collectively as humans, we find, per, we find people, and the world does, and Satan does, and glorifies one really smart guy who's been around as long as we have. <laughs> you say, does that bug you? I could grit my teeth over it. Well, we've been around for two billion, you know, 40 billion years. How do you know? You were born in 1963. You have no idea how long we've been around or how short. We need wisdom from one book just keeps repeating. God's so smart, he wrote it down once. He doesn't got to write it again. He doesn't need a new version. You know, people say, well, if, you're, if we're going to reach this generation, you know, we got to change what the Bible says, the way the Bible does things. No, I've found that men's hearts are the same. And it doesn't matter if they're, you know, 65 and unrepentant. They're still trying, guys are still trying to pick up girls way younger than them. Or if they're 25 and unrepentant, they're still doing it. Or vice versa. Now there's cougars. <laughs> All right. I better move on. As we look at this first verse in 1 John 1, we must remember that John is dealing with some bad teaching and ministry that is going around. The teaching surrounded the idea that Jesus was only spirit and that he used Jesus' body or never really had a physical body. We will see why this is important as we continue because the Apostle John will declare that the, that the proper understanding of the truth has to do with fellowship with God and with each other. So you have to have this understanding of this. There's actually uh, this word looked upon and handled. The word looked upon, and this is what John is saying, he, it actually means to, it means intense scrutiny. So John, John was following Jesus, but you guys do realize that John, the, the disciples didn't know he was the Messiah right off. They had faith, they had hope. They, didn't, they were not born again. They were following Jesus by faith, and what were they doing? They were observing him. We're talking about good Jews here. You say, what do you mean good Jews? They're taught, they, they know the scriptures, they know the Old Testament. They had to have it portions of it or good all of it memorized by the time they were I think 13 or something like that and so they understand their deliverers come they're looking at Jesus going is this him and you know this how many false messiahs came before Jesus you know what I mean how many quite a few and so what's he doing? He's scrutinizing this, and that's what he's presenting to, uh, to the people that, are, that he wrote this book to. He's saying, look, we scrutinize Jesus. He was God in the flesh, and he was God in the spirit. Verse number two says this. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. I love that verse. That eternal life that was with the Father and was manifested to us. John asserted that his ministry of witness was based on the historical event of Christ's appearance as a man. God became man, and the apostles simply testified to what they experienced. They declared the truth, making an official announcement of what God had done. The verse gives a more detailed description of the life. Jesus displayed the kind of endless, glorious life which God himself possesses. After all, he exists with the Father, a term with a root meaning face-to-face -face with. Jesus existed with the Father face-to-face. -face. Now, this gets more and more gooder here and more and more exciting, okay? Because the reason why John wrote this wasn't so that you could be impressed with John. It's so you could have fellowship with the Father and Jesus like he did. I like that. The intimate relationship was then made known to mankind through witnesses such as John. 
We believe that Jesus Christ existed with the Father face to face before the foundation of the world. In eternity past, Jesus and God had glorious eternal fellowship long before Jesus ever put on skin and came to the earth. Jesus then came to the earth as the exact image of the Father to teach us exactly what God is like. John is declaring that as a disciple who walked with Jesus Christ, he said, I testify that he is what he declared in the flesh. Basically, John was saying, I was there with him, and this is the truth about him. I was there with him, and this is the truth about him. That's verse 2. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. Watch, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Do you see that? He's saying what? This is the key to fellowship with one another and fellowship with God the Father and Jesus Christ. It is believing on Jesus Christ. That's the entry point, okay? So, he says this, we repeat, we really saw and heard what we are now writing to you about. We saw him and we heard him and are telling you, we are announcing to you, we want you to be with us in this, that you may share the dear friendship with him, may participate jointly in common with us. The fellowship we share with or share together is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. The purpose of the epistle was to make known the truth so the readers as well as the apostles could benefit from it. Such a proclamation has a purpose. It enables the readers to have fellowship with one another, okay? And then also it implies continual fellowship, the relationship based on things shared or held in common, like a property of a married couple. What happens when, when, a, when a husband and wife or a man and a woman get married? They become what? One. But what else takes place? Whatever, whatever uh, debt Heidi had becomes... Yeah. And whatever debt or whatever that I have becomes... So this happens when there's like a divorce. And then the families that were previously married had kids. Now those kids become... They become your kids. Yay! People say, well, I got divorced, but I wasn't saved. Or, you know, and all. well, God's not holding that against you. You're saved now. So what are you going to do to get Christ into your new co-property? You know, kids aren't property, but you understand what I'm saying. My kids are kind of property because we make them do a lot of chores. In other words, what is God saying? He's saying, or, or John's saying by the Holy Spirit, he's saying you can have fellowship with Jesus just like I did. You can have fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ just like we did. That's powerful. You'd be more excited about it if you saw it. You can have fellowship with God and live in relationship with him and have an intimate relationship with him like the apostle John did. And I'm going to say this, like Jesus did. <laughs> it's powerful. I mean, it ruins the devil's day. You should just laugh at the devil sometimes. People say, oh, I don't know. Listen, read through the Old Testament. Read through the Psalms and see how many times God laughs at his enemies. Why wouldn't you? Well, if I do that, he might attack me. He's going to attack you whether you do or not. He's going to attack you whether you do or not. The storm's coming one way or another. You can either be built on the foundation or not. People say, well, I'm going to make heaven. Yeah, you'll probably get there before the rest of us. 
The concept of fellowship with other Christians is one of the two major themes in 1 John. The other introduced in the latter part of the verse, true fellowship among Christians involves fellowship with God as well, both the Father and the Son. Both the Father and the Son. Of all the believers, John probably was the one who could understand and appreciate what this kind of fellowship could mean. He was, the, he was one of the inner circle. Now, I, I love this today because we do. We have such good teaching on grace and different things like that that people are like, you know, I'm God's favorite and I'm, God loves me the most. And I've heard all these things for years. And it used to irritate me. It doesn't anymore because I have more understanding. But you know, Jesus had an inner circle. And people say, well, we all have, there's equal footing before the throne in Christ. You're exactly right. But intimacy of fellowship is, is different than just having a position. Do you know relationship is different than fellowship? It is. Do you know I have a relationship with Heidi? I have a relationship with Neil. Neil knows my name. Neil knows a few things about me. Some things are he likes, some things, well, you know. <laughs> but he's super patient. But Neil has no level of fellowship with me that I do with my wife. But we both have relationship. I mean, Neil has the freedom to, he has my cell phone number. My wife has my cell phone number. Guess who calls me more? <laughs> or texts me more, you know, whatever it is today. Do you see there's a difference? John was in the inner circle. People go, oh, Jesus would never have favorites. Well... Keep declaring you're his favorite. <laughs> That's exactly right. Peter, James, and John. In fact, if you read through the Gospels, because he took them on the Mount of Transfiguration, but read other, when you're reading through the Gospels, look at times where Jesus, like would, when he was going to perform a miracle, like raise the dead or heal somebody, he would actually remove people and some of his disciples and only take the three Ooh, some people don't like that, but that's a part of the word. What are you going to do with it? Why, does, why would Jesus share with you his deep secrets that you're never going to do anything with or despise? I know, it hurts. It hurts me too. It's good. It's a good whooping. You know what I mean? It's discipline for me. If, if I want to have close fellowship with somebody, it requires opening up on both ends, right? But what else is required? Trust. God has to be able to trust me. That trust is built through fellowship. It's not automatic because of relationship. It takes fellowship. You have to have fellowship with him. He's got to know that he can trust you. But you can, you can, you can uh, fellowship with him and grow and develop spiritually to where you can be in that place. So we have fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, and then we have fellowship with the body of Christ. This means that we cannot have true fellowship with those who do not believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, who came to earth by water and by blood. In other words, we can't just agree with every religion. We cannot just agree with every Christian religion. We can love every person, but you don't want to have intimacy with demons. You don't want to have, de you know, people say, oh, there's no demons in the church. Oh, yeah, a lot of demons in the church. And what I mean by that is not in the church like we're, we're born again. I'm talking about in Christian things. Listen, where are the warnings about false prophets? Where did they come from? John will actually say it later. They actually started out in the church. And then came out from there. 
Verse 4. These things we write to you that your joy may be what? Half full. (laughs) That your joy may be good sometimes. So this understanding, that first introduction, those first four verses in 1 John, there's a purpose behind understanding it. What is the purpose behind understanding it? It's that we may have fellowship with the Lord. What comes with true, intimate fellowship with the Lord? Joy. In other words, fellowship or intimacy or the byproduct or the fruit of true fellowship with Jesus and God the Father is what? Joy. Notice it's not happiness. Because joy is ir- you joy is supernatural. Joy can be experienced. Come on, the joy of the Lord is your. So if the dep- that, that means depression is what? Your weakness. <laughs> right? The joy of the Lord is your strength. What does that mean? That means when you're fellowshipping with the Lord like you should, and you have fellowship with him, you actually can roll through a whole bunch of things that go wrong or right, doesn't really matter. You're not living your life based on external circumstances. You're living your life and and functioning at an emotionally stable, supernatural level because of your fellowship with the Father. See, we actually don't function in the fruit of the Spirit like we should. We more function in emotion. Because if we functioned in the fruit of the Spirit, I heard, I heard uh, uh, Dan Moeller say this. He was talking about this. He said, people make statements like, I love you, I need you. He said, you don't know what love is. You, don't, you have no clue what love is. We say we love each other, but what we mean is, you do stuff for me and I like it. Oh, you're not doing stuff for me anymore. I don't like it. So I guess I fell out of, you know, agape love doesn't fall in and out. I love you today. Oh, oh. Can you imagine God on the throne? He'd be on every kind of medication under the planet. He's like, what kind of medication they got down there for my emotions? I just can't control myself today. Just, (laughs) I know it sounds silly, but the love of God within me, doesn't love based on what you do or don't do. It's super. Come on, let's look at verse five and we'll, we'll, we'll end here. We are. I'm doing better than James Vernon McGee right now. I'm tanking him. If you don't know who that is, you can look him up later. I think most everybody probably, well, maybe not everybody. <laughs> Uh, Many times as believers, we are trying to get our circumstances to line up in order to experience joy, and we end up frustrated because we are not engaging our faith with proper understanding of Scripture. Can you say it again? Many times as believers, we are trying to get our circumstances to line up in order to experience joy, and we end up frustrated because we are not engaging our faith with proper understanding of Scripture. Glory to God. We got the victory, whether it smells like it, looks like it, feels like it, or not. And people say, well, you're just a faith guy. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's gotten me this far. Come on. I'm looking at some faces out there that you're more faith people than you realize. You've shared testimonies with me about things you've overcome. And there's greater levels inside of you of victory. 1 John chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is what? No darkness at all. Do you know that the last phrase there is actually in the Greek, it's like a double? No, not any. It's emphatic. There is absolutely none, none, no darkness in him at all. In other words, what is John saying? You remember John also wrote the gospel of John. And what did he write about Jesus in John chapter 10, verse number 10? What did he write about Jesus? And what did he write about the enemy? Oh, we better look at it. Ian, are you fast? Is Ian back there? Is he fast? John 10, 10, buddy. John 10, verse 10. 
How's he doing, Josh? Oh, he's good. He must be a chip off the old block. (laughs) The enemy does not come to what? Except to steal, kill, and to destroy. Jesus said what? I have come that they may have and may have it. That sounds like light and no darkness. Don't attribute to God what is demonic. Don't imply in people's minds that demonic activity was sanctioned by heaven because it never has been. One translation says it this way. He says, here then is the message we heard him give. What did John, after all those years of being around Jesus, what did he come away with? He came away with a revelation of the Father that he is light and in him is zero darkness. In fact, God is so not in tune with darkness that there are no shadows in heaven. You see, we, we think, oh, that's bright. You know, we get the bright, it's bright around. There's shadows everywhere. There's darkness everywhere in here. Even with all the lights on, there's darkness. Even on the brightest day, you can find darkness. God's light penetrates through everything, and there are no shadows. I know it makes your head just swim. Mine too. But it's truth nonetheless. There is no dark spot in God. He is life and life more abundantly. Amen? It says it this way in one translation. This is where we'll stop. Here then, we'll pick up here this next Wednesday. Here then is the message we heard him give. We are passing it on to you. God is to his nature is light and darkness in him does not exist. Not even one particle in any measure, no darkness whatever, not the faintest shadow of darkness. He is consuming light. I don't know if it's you, but that excites me. You know, people say, I wonder what that's like. I've had a little experience with it. You say, really? Yep, twice. Spectacular, supernatural, whatever you want to call it, experiences with the Lord. I, don't, I haven't had it happen a lot. It happened uh, especially when I first got saved. But I, uh, one time, this is how, I, and I've shared this with some people, but I feel like I need to share it again. I've shared it here before, but I feel like I need to share it again. This one ex- particular experience. I was, was when I was first saved, and so I heard uh, a minister, Jesse Duplantis, actually say, uh, every time he'd go to bed, he'd read a scripture before he went to bed, read some scripture, so that he put the word in his mind when he went to sleep. And I thought, okay, yeah, I better do that, you know? I'm 19, I'm just saved, right? Raised in church, but really saved now. And so I, I do that, I go to bed, I set my Bible on my nightstand, excuse me, I set my Bible on my nightstand, and I had a really nice bed. It sat on the floor. <laughs> and my nightstand was an old table that, that my parents had for us kids that we used to, you know, color on and all that stuff, you know. And so I set it on my bed, and I went to sleep. And about, I'd say four, three in the morning, 3 a.m. in the morning, I, I was dreaming and in my dream, I'm driving a car. And I'm driving a car today that is, you know, nobody could steal that's under 20 years old. It was a stick shift. Probably under 30 years old. It's a security system in your car. Just buy a manual. Nobody knows how to drive it. <laughs> and I'm driving, and while I'm driving in this dream, the car, I don't think, meant anything. That, that didn't really... While I'm driving, I'm shifting, right? And I remember thinking, man, while I'm driving, it's getting bright. And it's just getting brighter and brighter. And I looked down and I was shifting. And all of a sudden, you know, you know how you're dreaming, but you're still, you can feel things, you know, all of that. And I, and I, I kind of looked up and there's no more road. There's no nothing. There's just light on a level that I could feel. 
like feel, like you know how, I, I don't know how to describe it. All I can describe it as is it, when you felt the presence of God at its strongest, multiply it. Plus light, you're seeing light. And I'm like, what is going on? And I, boom, woke up. Because it woke me up. Right? It woke me out of this sleep. And I had my room, I like it dark. You know what I mean? So I was in the basement of my parents' house. I had everything closed off, every light shut off. There's nothing but like the red numbers on my clock. And uh, I sit up and I'm like, whoa. What was that? Because, I mean, God, it felt like God came in the room. You know what I mean? And so I go, Lord, was that you? You know, because I'm young. I don't know nothing, you know, or next to nothing. I still don't know much, but I knew more than then. I know more than then. So anyway, I, I woke up and I, and I said, Lord, was that? I said, Lord, if that was you, this came out of my mouth, give me a scripture. And so I turn like this in my bed, and I, and I turn my head over like this to reach up and turn my nightstand light on, nightstand, the table thing that was not a real nightstand, and grab my Bible. Where's my Bible? It's on my pillow right next to my head. My jaw hits it. I did not put it there. So what happened? Either the Lord visited me or an angel did and put my Bible right next to my head. And you know what he said to me? I said, Lord, get, you know, I didn't even know that I was supposed to have a scripture, but I asked for one. And he said, Proverbs 3.24, when I lie down, I will not be afraid. When I lie down, my sleep will be sweet. I couldn't go to bed then. <laughs> Faith came when I heard the word, but I'm like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just... <clears throat> anyway. So what do we know? Jesus came by flesh and spirit, by blood and water. We'll get more into that. We have fellowship with the Father and Jesus because of that, and we have fellowship with one another. There is no darkness in God at all. And this is a man testifying to this by the Holy Spirit to help us have understanding in staying out of the deceptions that are in the spirits of Antichrist that are in the world. I mean, no, the spirit of Antichrist today is the same as it was. Same devil, different year. Right? Father God, we thank you for your word tonight. We receive it. Lord, we'll meditate on it, think on it, bring us revelation by the spirit of wisdom and revelation, Lord. We receive that for our own lives. We purpose to be doers and not hearers only. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.